Rippy Writes with Brian Scott. Transcripts can be obtained by drinking a fifth of bourbon, ramming your head through some drywall, and then writing down every thought you have. What is up on a Monday? I am Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Writes podcast. We got Chase Parham on the show today. Wanted to have him on to talk about Lane Kiffin's press conference from last week that I know is written about a lot. Uh, regarding his thoughts on you know the recruiting class, NIL, some of the larger issues in the sport. We also covered some baseball, Mike Bianco, and a little golf at the end as uh, base college baseball season continues to creep closer as we're now inside the two-week mark. So enjoy it. I think, you'll, uh, I think you'll like the conversation. Buckle up. Before we get to that, though, I want to remind you, the podcast brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, Glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix Interval, an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry. If you're not using Skybox, you're missing out. They're absolutely crushing it in college basketball. You already missed out on the NFL season, which they profited again. Don't do that next year. Just take it from me. You're going to want to go sign up with Skybox. Week two of their college basketball picks in 2023 went up 50 units for a 65 and 43 record. I would say pretty solid. And even their free plays that they give out for free on social media, that'd be Twitter at Skybox Sports Picks, eight and two. How about that? $100 betters year to date as of the third week in January. I need to update these. They're up 5,620 bucks and it's only gone up from there. All you have to do is go online. Find a picks package that fits your price range. You try it for a day, a week, a month, whatever you want to do. I recommend just going with the year-long all-access pass. And then, boom, type in the promo code RIPPY. That'll get you 20% off any purchase. And you are now better equipped to profit than you were before. You'll get your picks emailed to you daily in a nice little color-coded spreadsheet organized by unit. And you are more equipped to profit than you were before. Stop paying the bookie. Have him pay you. Skybox is the only way to do that. Check them out, skyboxsportspicks.com. All podcasts also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, that's rippywrights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me in addition to discounted meats right now. The deal for LB's Rippy Wright subscribers is three six-ounce bacon wrap fillets for 20 bucks. That's about a $40 valuation you're getting for 20 bucks. It's a hell of a way to kickstart your grilling experience. Then go find all your own favorites. LB's is the best butcher shop in the world. It is truly a crown jewel of Oxford. They got all kinds of different cuts of meat. I like the tri-tips, all kinds of delicious sausages, filet burgers, seafood. You need to go check them out for yourself. LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. All right. Here is Chase Parham on some football, some baseball, and a lot of different stuff. All right. We now welcome on Rubble Grove's own Chase Parham. Uh, he's been staying up all night for the last three weeks, just counting down to college baseball season. I'm sure just gearing up what's, uh, what's happening. My man been about a month or so since we talked to you, at least on this version of the show. Uh, it is close. We're less than two weeks away from college baseball. I want to get some football first, but it's kind of crazy how quickly this time of year comes up every year. Yeah. You know, Mike had his media day, which you're going to mention in a second. He, uh, he had it, uh, he had it earlier than usual. Usually that's the Monday before the first game. Instead it was the very first practice day of the year, which kind of has my whole schedule thrown off. I mean, look, I'm not digging ditches. I'm not complaining. I obviously love college baseball, but I'm not quite in the groove yet. Like tomorrow or probably, I guess when people hear this, uh, I'm kicking off kind of normal preseason coverage for two weeks, getting stuff out of the way prior to opening day. But until now, it's been a little bit of a mess, and I'll, I'll tell you, as much as I write, and obviously maybe this is because of how much I've written and coming off the book and everything, I've had writer's block all weekend, and I don't know the last time that I've really had that. I mean, it's just not a – I mean, A, we don't write a ton of stuff where you're really, really focused in and can't just kind of machine gun it out and put up some stuff with a quote and make it work. 
But I, I've had three or four days of real legitimate writer's block. And I, I'm telling you, I, I can't remember the last time that happened. So it's almost it's almost a little foreign to me. It, it, it's been a little frustrating the last two days, if I'm being real. What would you attribute that to? Just that you got your normal, uh, you know, if, if you're counting miles run or calories or steps in a day, you you hammered out, I would say, more than your usual word count with the whole book thing. That, that'll spike up the numbers a bit. Is it from that? What do you think this is from? There's probably a little bit of that, but I'll tell you, it's I'm and, and I ended up finding what I needed. And again, by the time people are hearing this, they probably are seeing it or they will within a couple hours. I was writing a column on kind of the last impression of last season in the national title. What What's the one thing we're going to remember? And hey, we do have to turn the page. There's a new season coming, all that kind of stuff. And I was building it off of it. it it's, it's people, you know, that whether you're talking about TJ McCants and everything he went through with his mom or whether it's, you know, a buddy of mine, Tim Klein or his dad, who was on some of those or would have been college world series teams in the fifties and sixties, except for the whole segregation thing. He's passed away this off season. And he had, he, he, he had some health issues that didn't allow him to appreciate them winning the thing in the summer. And it's, you know, all the people that, you know, in, in Omaha, you had the moments with your kids or your dad or your grandparents or whatever, and the fact is, because life happens, at some point in that offseason, somebody's passed away. You had a memory with them yeah. in June, and now they're no longer here, and you got that. And what what I was tying it around, and again, I'm, I'm writing this, so it's not a secret at this point, was I, I was talking to a, a, a friend the other day, and we were talking about how old your phone, how, how old text messages are in your phone. So, like, you know, you know you're a hoarder of text. How far do they go back? And when I was flipping through it, mine go back to 2014. And one of my last texts that I had was from Sam Smith's mother. Sam Smith, the pitcher at Ole Miss. For, yeah. He has actually started SEC games all four seasons. He was here. And she I mean, had the Sunday very, four years? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. He had very significant – she had very significant cancer. Um, and – she had sent me a text talking about how she was essentially using all her energy to be in Oxford for when Sam got off the bus coming back from Omaha. He she wanted to celebrate that with him when they got back. And um, I, I kind of started reading through and I had some emails from her and different things. And we just kind of became pen pals, frankly, for, for several years there, but she passed away in, I think October of 2015, a year later, but I don't know. It just sort of struck with me in a couple different ways. A, that 14 team was such a a force of the Mianko era and showed that it was possible and got them there prior to this past season. And then, you know, just some of the people in the stories that you didn't know back then and just some of the, the, the things that mattered so much in so many different ways so, of a season beyond wins and losses. Yeah, I, I think that's well said. I mean, I couldn't agree more, particularly when you can kind of have this seminal moment in like whatever Ole Miss fandom is where you get to the finally get to the peak of the mountaintop. I remember I was doing the I did this, the original story on those Ortega brothers and and Jim. Oh, God, I'm going to blank on his last name, but the, the guy they met from Clinton. And then I wrote that second one and I actually was actually back from Dallas for a game. And they had both had lost loved ones in the COVID pandemic and they didn't get to do their yearly trip or whatever in 2020 because of COVID. And they're sitting there, I'm sitting in between both of them in the stands. And the uh, Jim, the older fellow, like looked at me and was kind of like, you know, I I think about my situation. It's like, I can't be the only person that now has empty seats next to me now that we used to be inhabited by other people. There's probably tons of other people throughout the stadium 
um, that are dealing with the same thing. You know, a lot has changed since the last time we've been here. And I think that kind of speaks to the same thing. And it's, it's, it's the, it's the fun part of sports like shocker. It's kind of fun to cover a team that wins a national title. Right. But it's, it's almost <laughs> the stuff that you don't like think about that makes it a lot more fun. And it's crazy that it's come back up again this year. I want to get to the football stuff first, but I will share that Mike Bianco actually uh, made me the most popular man at my current day job uh, for a very brief period of time. So we have a, one of the uh, companies we we run is a dental company. Um, it's a, uh, dental service organization where we uh we have nine ten practices across the southeast wherever we have this one like yearly conference and it's always in oxford because that's where our home base is and you get everyone together and they do a lot of credentialing stuff so they do like continuing education and stuff like that that they have to do anyway and then you get speakers and stuff and my boss like three months into the job was like who's someone badass we if you know my boss it's just like <laughs> it's just a light bulb moment he's like who's someone badass we can get from the athletic department and just like Kiffin, I was like, that would make everyone want to quit the company. Um, and he goes, Mike Bianco. And I was like, he goes, you think you can do that? You think you can pull that off? And I was like, I don't know, man. I kind of tried. So I went through the normal route. I didn't like go call Mike directly. I just went through like the normal routes of like, hey, will you do this? And Mike's a very good public speaker. He does it a lot. So he agreed to do it. But there's no like official contract. And to, uh, I'll get to it in a second, but like the official like one of the things that I admire about Mike is he actually doesn't really charge anything to do that. He kind of feels, feels it his duty to the community to go speak and kind of talk about whatever they wanted to talk about and tie it into Ole Miss baseball and, you know, selling the program. He doesn't really have to do much selling anymore uh, now that he's, you know, won a national title and he plays in a cathedral that basically was built around him. But that's kind of how it started. But it gets to be like a week out. Is <laughs> last Friday, I'm on the way to go get engaged. Um, I'm late. So I'm thinking she's actually going to beat me there, which the whole setup was like, oh, we're going to do it as soon as she got there. And then like my family and her family are going to come in from the lake house next door, blah, blah, blah. But I'm late. I'm already sweating bullets. But I was like, I have to go by here and make sure this is still happening because I hadn't really heard from anyone in a couple of weeks. So I go to the front office and the front desk lady's not there. I'm looking for Chris Godoris, the ops guy that books all his stuff. So I was like, all right, I'll wait. And then all of a sudden, I see number five himself kind of come sauntering out in like a coat and a tie and a jacket and a jacket. And he kind of gives me this look and kind of starts pointing like, you know, how many years you've been doing this, man? The media days upstairs. I didn't even know it was actually media day. I never put two and two together. And I was like, no, no, no I'm, that's not why I'm here. I'm actually here to book you for a speaking engagement. And then he kind of looked at me like Kyle is nuts for a second. But then he was like, Oh yeah. And I was like, do y'all need anything? He was like, no, no, it's all good. But he came, he showed up. He was an incredible speaker. Um, and I really appreciate him doing that. And everyone was like, man, I can't believe we got the reigning national championship head coach. And I was like, yeah, you know, I called some people, talked to some agents, pulled some strings. Really is not that hard at all. But Mike Bianco made me the most popular man in my company for a brief period of time. So I, I do. Owe so, it so you risk being late to your own engagement just to make sure Mike was okay. So not just because of that, what had happened was that day I was supposed to work till 10, go up there that had given me plenty of time. And there were a couple of meetings I needed to get in the morning where really I, I, I shouldn't have, like, I didn't need to miss them really no matter what. And I had plenty of time. So it wasn't a big deal. So I was like, All right, I'll get in the car 10 o'clock, get there by two, three. She wasn't supposed to get there till five, something like that. And so then I'm like walking up out the door to leave. And we have uh, people visiting from a potential practice on the dental side that we were going to acquire. So the guy that's showing them around was like, hey, do you have 10, 15 minutes? Do your kind of usual spiel, just meet these people. And I was like, 
yeah, I think I can knock this out. Well, all of a sudden I look up 45 minutes later and we're still yucking it up in this conference room. And I don't know any of these people in this room except for the guy that's the kind of the recruiter. And he doesn't know that I really have to go. So it's not his fault. But I'm sitting there like scratching my neck and I was like, oh my God, like I need to get this done. And I'd gotten a little probably irrationally worried about Mike actually showing up and being there. Not that he would like just like, you know, in bad spirits, like ghost me. But since there's no contract, there's no written thing. And I was having trouble getting a hold of Ghidorah's email while I was like, I need to go by there and just make sure this is a thing. So, and I was going to do that anyway, but that was my last stop out of town. It just happened to be the last one after I was late. Um, And so that made it a bit more of a time crunch. So Mike Bianco is actually the last human being I saw before I uh, popped the question. So, so did she know it was coming? Because, I mean, look, I, I love her to death, but she hasn't been subtle with some of these, like, hey, oh. I, I don't want to move to Oxford without a without a ring here or anything. So. Oh, not subtle. <laughs> she, yeah, at our company Christmas party, my boss is a very funny guy. and he's he's I, I love working for him. He's very entertaining. And he kind of knew the deal on that where she hadn't been subtle either, but she never met. he never met him. See, so he walks over to the Christmas party. We just walked in. He's like, so are you moving to Oxford? And she just goes, not without a ring. And like, he thought that was the greatest thing ever. So not subtle is an understatement, but she did not know it was coming. I think she knew generally when it was coming, um, hot springs or family had always had a lake house there. That was to mention a spot. She'd always like, think that would be cool for it to happen. But how do you get someone to go to a lake house in January? So I had her dad say that one of his vendors at his pharmacy got them jockey club tickets for the horse races that weekend. And he wanted to do it and he wanted everyone there. So we, the, it was a pretty good smoke screen on our part. Cause I let her dad, who usually doesn't do stuff like that, lead the way and be like, Hey, I want, you know, MC her two sisters, her, their boyfriends there. And she didn't know my parents were coming. We kept that obviously a secret. So that was kind of the smoke screen, but uh, she was actually, I think she was pretty shocked. Cause she didn't really say a whole lot. I didn't actually get a yes. Um, she just like, I did it as soon as she walked in the doorway because there's like balloons and stuff set up. So it was going to be absolutely obvious. So she just immediately like threw the shit down that she was holding and just kind of gave me like a half nod. And I was like, can I get this like audibly? Like I'm not recording, but like, can we get this on paper? So I do think we pulled it off. There was an element of surprise. Okay. Okay. But it's kind of then a generational get- thing, right? Because my my mom called me the day before. I was like, you know, you have to get down on one knee. And I was like, well, yeah, I thought that's how this works. And she's like, your father didn't. And I was like, oh, well, I, I, I was planning on doing it. <laughs> Did you have some elaborate plan? How did that work for you? Um, yeah. So my, my, my biggest issue with mine was that, um, I, I did it in New Orleans and they had put some stuff. They were supposed to have like, yeah, like maybe champagne or whatever, whatever. And they put it in the wrong place. So as soon as we walked in oh, the room, yeah. it was like right there by the door instead of being down there. So like it all got, it's kind of like you're doing, it all got really, really rushed <laughs> because of, because yes. of that. It, did, it didn't go how it was supposed to go because it was like, oh shit. Okay. Now yeah, I got, I got to like scramble around and whatever. And yeah, yeah, it was a, it was, it, it was a thing at that point. So that's why you try to make it as simple as possible, like champagne, something like that. Like, but even like, like, I'm glad I didn't make it some like complicated, elaborate thing. Cause like the more details that were out of my control, the more chances just shit's going to go awry. Um, so <laughs> I try to keep as controlled as possible, but yeah, that's uh the minor things never working out in the last hour is always a nice pressure point. We actually had to delay her. I had to get her dad to call and be like, Hey, on your way from Dallas, stop in Texarkana. I forgot these blueprints for this pharmacy. We have to have them by Monday, but that's actually just because I was late. Um, so we had to stop her there. Um, it, so, uh, yeah. How long is the engagement going to gonna be? When's the wedding? You know? We haven't figured that out yet. As of Sunday night, I could figure this out in like an hour, but we're, we're finalizing venues, which kind of dictates the date. 
Um, I don't think it'll be like a multi-year thing. I'm thinking probably early next year. So uh, I guess okay. mark your calendar. Um, generally, I can give you early 2024 maybe is the best I can possibly do. She knows the no football season thing. She's always like, I want a fall wedding. I'm like, not mm-hmm. happening. I don't have any other objections throughout this whole process, but there's just no way that that's happening. Yeah, go ahead and learn that, that your opinion does not matter moving forward for this in, in, in any way whatsoever. Just, yes, sounds good. Agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, it's that, a that's fine line to walk, though, because you can't make it obvious that your opinion doesn't matter because it's like you just don't care. But, yes, I will I will walk that fine line of sure whatever you want with also trying without sounding like I don't actually care, which I imagine about 90% of the stuff I don't really care. Got a flower. Are y'all doing, color are y'all doing Texarkana? We didn't. We I don't think Texarkana. I think Hot Springs is in the mix. Okay. Um, maybe Oxford. I don't really know, but I don't think we're doing Texarkana. Um, I don't okay. know why it's it's such a booming metropolis. Um, I'd love to have everyone come there, but we'll uh, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, I got a flower color question the other day. I'm like half colorblind, so I was like, what? What is this? How this is going? I I don't know. I don't care. Um, so we got that going. Did that get a yes, which is a plus, and no would have been a huge bummer. So uh. You know, we didn't know each other that long, but when you know, you know. Um, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh. Just, you know, we've been dating <laughs> like nine years. So I guess there's no great way to transition out of that. But one of the main things I wanted to discuss with you here this evening was Lane Kiffin's press conference on Wednesday was a doozy. Um, I didn't actually watch it until this weekend. I read Neil's column on Thursday or whenever, maybe he posted it Wednesday right after. And I was kind of intrigued by that. But then to watch the whole thing in its to its completion was very interesting. It was 17 minutes, which was a little bit long. He's had some that go on a little bit long, but longer than anyone that I can remember. And as he's kind of become known for at this point in these types of settings, it became a forum for him to share what I think are pretty honest and genuine opinions about the way he thinks college football is going with recruiting as kind of the vehicle to get that message out, because that's really what's affected the most. I'll just throw it to you to start. I mean, in a world where Freeze used to go through just about every player, this is it's funny how the different pers- coaching personalities they are. Uh, you had that one year where he called the 2015 class or 16 class a penalty. That was pretty sweet. But outside of that, he used to kind of compliment every player. I don't think any single player was discussed outside of potentially Spencer Sanders. It was a huge referendum. And what he thought about the changing landscape of college football, what did you make of it in its uh, totality? Look, Lane is never going to want to talk about minutia or individual players. Now, look, the media, I mean, there may be some fans out there that go, hey, you guys did a poor job because you didn't ask specifically about some of those players. And he would have bumbled through some responses and said that they're great. And obviously they signed them, so they think they're going to be good and all that stuff. But, but you know, even in the thing where he talked about this, because maybe it's Michael Katz asked him, you guys signed a bunch of offensive linemen over the course of the overall signing period. What do you think? And Basically, Lane went, oh, you know, we'd like the guys can play a bunch of different positions. And then even parlayed that back into, hey, that's really important because with the portal, guys are getting in and out. You, you're going to need people to move around. Like, he still pushed it back to what you're talking about because Lane does that. He comes into press conferences with something on his mind, and no matter what you ask, he's going to get to that answer at some point because that's what he wants to talk about. Um, he is interested more in the big picture than the small stuff, and that – Look, it's one of the reason Lane. It's one of the reasons Lane likes the portal. Is it's a very NFL type of recruitment. It's hey, what is the NIL situation? What is the playing time? How many years you got left? Okay, done. Moving on. Let's go to the next guy. He's not, you know, as much as he's retweeted and messed with Brian Kelly, he doesn't like the hey, go dance with the high school senior and do that whole schmill that, that, that you do there sometimes. So it fits Lane's personality. 
And Lane was not wrong in anything he said. He talked about how you're re-recruiting your current roster constantly. You're having to finish second for some guys because, you know, that makes you the number one option for the portal a year down the road. The NIL has overly complicated thing. Look, it is a complete and utter shit show. Nobody's disputing that in any yeah. way. But I, I think it was one of my more astute things, and I get plenty of things wrong. But one of the things I got right is I said on our on our main show in the morning, maybe it was that maybe it was that Wednesday, maybe it was the day before, is that this press conference is going to be a barometer to see what people's opinions are of Lane Kiffin. Because I knew he was going to talk big picture. I knew he was going to talk about Portal and NIL and all those different things. And he was going to be educational in doing so. He gave some really good examples of things that are affecting Ole Miss's roster and every roster across the country day to day. I mean, he called Quinshawn Judkins staying at Ole Miss his biggest signee, basically, of the year because they fought off other schools from coming in and taking him and tampering with Judkins. But here's the deal is if you're all about Lane Kiffin, you go, wow, yeah, he's educational. He's telling us the truth. Hey, preach Lane. Let's go get him. And if you're still kind of pissed off about the way the season ended or the Auburn stuff or whatever you want to be pissed off about, he was whining. He was complaining. He was not going to – he wasn't just putting his nose down and fixing the issues. And I think it literally depends on what you think Lane Kiffin's curating is and what your opinion of him is at any point as to where you fall on that scale – now, I will say this, too. Look, winning fixes everything. If Lane Kiffin goes 10-2 and two every season, he can bitch and moan all he wants or he can educate or however you want to do it. I do think Lane can't do that every time. I, I do think you can't go into every press conference that's a signing day press conference or any type of big-picture situation and go, God, it's just so hard. It's so hard. I don't have the answers, but it's just really, 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 really hard. Because at some point – even though everybody's not playing by the same rules because their people have different pocketbooks, right. you, you kind of are. So when you don't sign kids, you didn't find ways to maximize things in, in that regard. And I think that's why this recruiting period is interesting. And I mean, it's pretty well documented that recruiting is not necessarily where I get my rocks off every year. But um, at the same time, this 24 class is fascinating to me because when you promote $10 million in NIL and you at least have enough to be competitive in a lot of different ways and, you know, they're still building that. The Grove Collective, Walker, and, and Liston, those guys have done a really good job. Can they turn it into, hey, we found 12 SEC players that we signed out of high school that we really like to 16, 17? Can you get that extra handful of high school guys and then supplement off with the portal? You know, does that ratio change or does that ratio not change? I find that one of the more fascinating things, and we're going to get the answer through the spring and the summer because high school kids commit early. They want to go through their high school seasons without a lot of that distraction most of the time. And then they're trying to enroll for next December. I mean, we're inside of, we're inside 11 months now before those kids are trying to get to class and already signed and committed and the whole deal. So, you know, I think all of those factor into it. But, look, I, I completely agree with Lane. Uh, I don't think – it did not come off as whining as much to me. I didn't think he was even complaining as much as he had just been in such the middle of it because it was yeah. a recruiting period and he was seeing it and he's stressed by it. He can't in, – in some ways he's being honest because people ask him these big-picture questions expecting these big-picture answers. And in some ways he's going, I don't know, because I, don't, I can't even tell you for sure who's on my roster come May 15th. So how can I tell you – whether we have enough defensive tackles or defensive ends or linebackers or running backs or anything else. Because if that thing goes haywire, then the answer would be different than if we don't lose anybody and just add some dudes and then you see what's going on for the summer. It's You're building team, not program 
but there needs to be a mix of that somehow where you at least get some level of program because that's what you find fascinating about this February class. It was only, you know, two, three guys, whatever it was, but they don't appear to be profiled as immediate impact guys. They appear to be depth guys. So if it's depth guys and guys who need to develop, did you grade them out from a personality standpoint to believe they will stick with you to develop? Or are they going to be those guys that want to jump in the portal in a year? So, I mean, in a lot of ways now, it's not even about talent. And Lane said this. It's about understanding the motivation of every player and how quickly they're going to get pissed off if they don't get on the field. Yeah, it's it's it, you made a bunch of fascinating points in that. And I, I, I'm glad you brought up the question about the offensive lineman because I wrote that down as a note because that came after what a probably good 10, 12 minutes of big picture stuff. And then all of a sudden, and I'm not knocking whoever asked the question. It's not necessarily a bad question, but it was such a pivot to where like his tone immediately changed, like this press conference taking on this entire theme. And then all of a sudden he's like, what do you look for an offensive lineman? And like his face almost seems shocked for a second. He's like, oh, uh, Blah, blah, blah. And then he kind of got it back on the rails of the NIL and the recruiting and the transfer portal and all that. I was like, I right. like it just it was crazy to me how quickly it took a turn. And then on that note, I do think your point of him not being I didn't view it as complaining either. And one of the main reasons is, one, I thought he was genuine and everything did. But he made it pretty clear it through the latter half of kind of one of the monologues he had. He's like, I'm not blaming the players. I actually commend them for like taking advantage of this flawed system. Like, I get it. But. I'm with you in the sense that you've pointed out repeated that he can't do this every year. And I think this may be the last year he can do something like this. Look, if he gets asked a question about big picture stuff, he can answer it with his thoughts, but that being the general theme and what he wants to talk about, which was clear in this one, don't you think that's the last year? Because you've astutely pointed out a couple of times with the NIL figure, they got it to 10 million. Well, like if you're doing that in October and November, that's not really for the 2023 class. I mean, look, mm -hmm. I don't know how quickly the money gets in the hands and all of that. I mean, could you get uh, some of it to these 2023 kids? Yeah, sure, I guess. But the proverbial hay is in the barn in terms of building up the high school recruiting. It's really about the 2024 class. And so I think that's where the rubber meets the proverbial road in all of this is because the element of what he was talking about in terms of you know, getting players out of his current roster bought or it being harder to recruit high school kids because you don't know if you can keep them. Those elements, like that kind of sector of all these things that he talks about, this kind of feels like the last year because they just spent this entire offseason kind of campaigning like, hey, we are a big boy with big boy pocketbooks now. We're not the exact same thing as A&M. We're not in the same ballpark as everyone, but we are better than most, and that should result in recruiting wins that are better than most and probably more wins than losses. And look, how you recruit and your success in doing so and your success in the football field dictates how often you can talk about it. Because if Kirby Smart wanted to go, hey, this system sucks and whatever, you would listen to him every day because they still sign yes. the number one or number two class in the country, and you go, hey – you can't even get the expectation that he's whining. He's just explaining, hey, this is a really dumb thing that's going on right now. So there's a standard that Lane has to sort of get to on the field that then allows him to talk more big picture with more relevance and more conf you know, confidence and those kind of things. Because, yeah, again, he's not saying anything wrong. And I think he, he can even do it once a year. It's just, you know, when you do it December and February and then it's, you know, sometime in the spring when he's asked some big picture question because some kids came on campus but didn't commit or what, you know, whatever. I don't know what the reason is. But, it, yeah, it just can't necessarily be your 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 rallying cry because it's one of the reasons why, as, as good as Lane is on Twitter, I don't like when he retweets kids committing to other schools. 
Right. Because you're implying, oh, well, he just went because of NIL. Well, okay, but so it probably is some kid that's signing with you. It, 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 it's, it's not even the press conference if I had to ever give him a, a below average grade. It's the immediate, what appears to be at least at the time, maybe emotional is not the right word, but you know what I mean? The emotional reaction on social media where they have, hey, kid cornerback commits to A&M and then he retweets it. And I go, "Mm, okay, but eh. It's the same vein as kind of the the pounding of uh, kind of piling on Sokoloff. He went out. I wouldn't say went after. I'd say interacted with the pretty notable Mississippi State reporter um, a couple of weeks ago. It's like, what are you doing there? That part of it's not necessarily emotional. It's just like, why, why are you stirring that type of thing up? But I kind of agree on that note. He also gave some very good inside baseball stuff. Some of the stuff that I'm not going to say shocking because we all know it's going on, but like. I was surprised that he went there in a couple of different areas to that degree. One of them was he talked about, he's like, you'll get a kid that transfers. He comes in your office, tells him that he, you're transferring and he already knows where he's going and the money he's going to make. And I was like, wow, that's a pretty good glimpse into the inside baseball aspect. That's just kind of the life that we live, but or the life that they live now in college football. And I guess like the Packers had a question, like these college football coaches that are control freaks and they already have this change all this change going on at once they already don't like, like how often, like don't, that has to make their head explode. Right. When they have a kid that's not only coming in to say, Hey, I'm transferring, but also here's where I'm going. And I know the NIL money I'm making. Like, can you imagine your typical college football coach hearing that and probably wanting to flip his desk over in anger? Look, none of them want to do it. None of them want to have to tamper with kids from other schools because they know that everybody tampers with them when they do it. I mean, it's you're almost not doing your job if you don't do it. No, no, you are. So I think in some ways it's it's the frustration that it's the way of the world. It's not even this because I think fans mess this up sometimes. And when I say fans, I mean a very small percentage, but we do see this on message boards sometimes is they go, oh, Lane's complaining and he's not tampering. No, I mean, Ole Miss is tampering too because everybody's tampering. It's just they're all frustrated that they almost have to, I'm in quotes, because everybody's tampering with them. It's the way of the world. Look, because I can spin anything college baseball, it's the reason why for years and years and years and years there was this gentleman's rule, once a kid committed in baseball, that was it and you don't recruit them. Well, it's not because you want to be lazy. It's because you only had two assistant coaches. You only have three coaches that can go on the road counting your head coach. And if you've got to sit here and protect all your commitments for two or three seasons, the way baseball recruits and commits kids, you know, for 23, 24, 25, and even 26, for example, plus make sure you're going out and still recruiting all the kids that committed to Vanderbilt and Mississippi State and Arkansas and go find other talent. Well, where the hell's the manpower coming from to do that? So they all basically said, look, once you get them, you got them. Let's worry about the other fish that are out there and let's not do this. And then you had a couple schools, <clears throat> Arizona State started the process of interfering a little bit in those type of things. And when that happened, it you looked think that's what led to that blow up in the 07 Super? Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but you're, you're more astute in the history of it. Do you think that was partially a piece of that? How early was that going on? Is that what you're alluding to? Yeah, there's a kid named Kyle Rowling that that was very much okay. going on. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, 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 Kyle Rowling was on that team at Arizona State. But that was also because Pat Murphy is one high-strung human being. And then at that point, Mike was pretty high-strung as well. And you had a little bit of a, a, a powder keg going there. Yeah, yeah, that was that that was the game where Pat Murphy, after the game, uh, criticized Mike Leake, who was his pitcher, and said he wished he had a taser to tase him to speed him up and running to first base. <laughs> What a guy. Yeah, it's a great point. Like, I didn't mean to derail you, but like the point that you make about it is too, is like, yes, like they didn't have the manpower to do that in college baseball. But if there is a noble 
greater good element of that gentleman's agreement. It's saving everyone from the collective headache of having to recruit, not necessarily your current roster, but the guys you already have in the boat. It's like no one wants to deal with this, so we just don't need to do this. And now it's a sports version of mutually assured destruction and why nobody hits the nuclear weapon. I mean, it's yes, like, okay, when point, this happens, right. we're all going to die. So I know it like the former president Trump calling out uh, Kim Jong-un little rocket man. It's like, oh, let's, not, <laughs> let's not give this guy an excuse to hit the buttons or whatever. Like, or whatever he said, my button works. Like, it's like, we don't need everyone reaching for their button to go nuclear and cause everyone these headaches. And luckily in college baseball, no one would die if someone decided yeah. to reach that. But it is a good point. And only like on top of that, like now, like spinning that back to like football, now that's what they're having to do. They're having to take on with all this other change, the collective headache of retaining your roster. I mean, another inside baseball thing Lane did was he called Quinshawn Judkins, one of the most highly recruited, recruited kids out there in the last couple of months. It's like, should that be the case? No, but like he just kind of put really plainly, bluntly said it. And it was very much a Lane Kiffin vintage bingo press conference because he even worked A&M in there without actually mentioning that name when he talked about a prominent program uh you know he mentioned like kids that come out of high school when things don't go well they just say they're leaving and it's almost alluding to them I'm not putting words in his mouth but the way I perceive it is like extorting the program where it's like hey, if you don't play me and things aren't going well for me I'm gonna leave he's wrong in that but I just thought it was funny he played all the hits he got an A&M mention in there subtly he mentioned all of that but he's not wrong in any of it I just kind of found all that aspect of humorous. But if there's one like macro thought through all of it is I think that version of Lane is somewhere in the brain of every college coach doing this currently. I think he's just more candid and articulate and willing to go there more so than a lot of other coaches are. No, look, they all, they, they all feel the same thing. They all think the same thing. Frankly, they're all in group text together, depending on what group of coaches you're talking about that talk about this kind of stuff in their spare time. It's, it's all of that. And it's, it's why on a big picture and to spin it all up full circle, it's why he goes, I don't know the answer. I just know this doesn't work because he, you know, he talks about they should be employees. Well, okay. True employees or revenue sharing, both ones completely kill the college athletics model and maybe kill college athletics. I'm, I, I'm not being hyperbolic. I fully believe that that would begin the process of killing it because it gets so complicated. It's not just as easy as make them employees. No, it's way more complicated than that. Revenue sharing just does not freaking work. It don't, on any level, that does not work. So when when you can't go to those things to protect this, and it's not, again, it's not laziness. It's protecting the integrity of just what this looks like because I've said this over and over again. For so long, we were so anti-player in all the legislation and now we're just pro player and letting them do pretty much whatever the hell they want to do. And you can't do anything contractually to keep them from doing that, including signing them to NIL deals. I mean, this has been my the dumbest part of the offseason to me that I keep not really laughing about. But, you know, we make fun of Davis and Igmanosin because he ends up getting in Tennessee's student directory and then committing to Ohio State a week later after he's already enrolled as a student at Tennessee, even though he was at Ole Miss. But, you know, Tashim Johnson, here's one. And I mean, I'm not picking on Tashim. Tashim re-upped with the Grove Collective. They yeah. announced his new contract, and then he got in the portal. <laughs> so even when you re-up with the collective from an NIL standpoint that you're at, I guess my point in saying this is, you know, and it, it was a big deal. Getting him back in some form of ink was a big deal. But when Judkins re-signed with the Grove Collective, it still was not binding in any way whatsoever. 
Yeah, like the ink is it's it's like it's the difference between professional free agency. When you ink someone to a deal, they are there for three years. Now the NBA's figured out a way to bastardize that to some degree because the stars have so much power, they can just, you know, three years left on a deal. Oh, I want to trade, and normally it works out for them. You're seeing kind of the extreme version of that, but you're right. Like that like inking, like there's no way to lock these kids down because these aren't bonding contracts. And like to your point about I'm not even disagreeing with it, where you're saying revenue sharing doesn't work, it would kill the model of college athletics. I mean, it would kill non-revenue sports. I don't disagree, but I think the fascinating part about where we're headed is I agree it won't work, but that's the iceberg we're headed. That's the, whatever, whatever you want to call it to. That's the magnet. Like that's the magnetic force that's pulling the sport in that direction. That is squarely where they are headed. I had that NIL lawyer that was the former Rutgers athlete back on in uh, December. And to that guy's credit, granted he loved to he was very confident i'll put it that way but he called a lot of this stuff a couple years before him and he was using the words and writing collectives before anyone knew what the hell a collective was and he thinks we're headed there he's like this is how this is going to go so i'm not disagreeing with you that it won't work because i'm sitting there thinking how the hell does this work but it's a very interesting situation because you're heading to an area you know the current landscape you're in is not sustainable but you're also heading to a landscape that you know won't work so what the hell does this look like it like you know what i mean like it's like the the clear direction that you're headed and the clear outcome in all this is also one that won't work so it's like what, what then what what happens next i don't know because a revenue sharing model that actually works would be very limited it would be and i'm just making up stuff i don't know we would need a financial person but it would be something like no, you simply divide up the revenue from a bowl game or a yeah. playoff game or something where or you they succeeded. get a minimal cut that's all players created equal. Yeah, whatever. Something along those lines. You cannot take a large percentage of the operating income. It just doesn't work. So that's the thing. And what's going on right now? I mean, you had that nut job assemblyman out in Pasadena that did that bill that Dellinger wrote about. I mean, that that model was broken apart on a thousand different ways because that moron even said if you cut a scholarship or cut a sport, you were penalized and the AD basically lost their job. And it was like, okay, so how would you like me to yes. pay for these things? That doesn't even make sense. I mean, and so. I heard you and Neil talk about this on the podcast. And the crazy part about it is, is that guy is that that, that law is laughable. That bill is laughable. But the, the previous one they wrote that everyone laughed at beforehand kind of helped spark where we are today as insane as it is. Like I, I know. that's the part that blows my mind. You're sitting there reading it. I've listened to y'all's po whatever podcast y'all did the day y'all talked about this and you're just reading through pieces of the legislation. And you're like, this is nonsense. Like what the hell is this guy talking about? But then you go back and you're like, well, what legislation really kind of helped kick this off other than the O'Bannon lawsuit and all that really actually fueled this, but what really kind of sparked it, it's like, is that kind of very left-wing crazy law back in the day or five, six years ago where they, what, what was it? What was you basically like, it was legal for them to make money and the NCAA couldn't stop it. Was that the previous bill basically? Yeah. And it started out in California too. And it was just a very bare bones version of what we have now of saying, yes, that you could, you could, I mean, it was the actual, it was what name, image, and likeness was supposed to be, if you will, right. using quotes. And then anybody with half a brain cell went, okay, but here's the problem with that is there's no way to limit it to those things because you can't prove it, even from a market value standpoint. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's where that broke down. But no, I mean, look, I can't guarantee it's not going to go to some revenue sharing model. But I'm telling you right now, the problem with those bills and the way that's set up is, 
No one in athletic administration is being asked anything. It's just a bunch of political figures going, oh, well, I'll tell you what sounds good. Well, okay, great. But that doesn't let them literally show how to balance a book or pay bills because that moron in his bill even said that beyond operating income through the athletic department, they could go in and take donations from the private foundations to give them revenue sharing. It's like, well, now really, how would you like me to pay for it? I don't, I. It's just like, I mean, if you really he goes, like, well, he, he, I mean, basically he said, Hey, every coach should just not make more than $200,000. I'm okay. like, well, yeah. Okay. Let them, let's sign up for that. Yeah. Let's, let's, yeah. How would that work? Let's, let's see how that works. Look, we could have this, we could go into this weeds of this conversation for hours on end. I also probably get the sense to some degree that like fans and people listening to the show, I mean, look, it's interesting conversation fodder. And I don't think people hate it, but I do think people like, I, I get messages from friends sometimes where it's like, my God, I'm tired of talking about NIL. And I'm like, yeah, well, I, I, I get it. But like, you know, it's the topic of the day and like it's as tiresome as it is and it's taxing as it it makes fans because they're making them, you know, offer up their own pocketbooks and you don't know the players and all that. It is like kind of the most important topic we have. And so the last couple of things I'll get to because I want to get into some baseball before I keep you here all night is Spencer Sanders. He's in school. He will go through the spring. Um, I know there was a little bit of a concern about that probably a couple of weeks ago, but he's in the directory. Um, I swiped my brother's uh, student ID credentials to confirm that one. So if anyone wants to arrest me for that, come at me. But he's here. He'll go through the spring. It's very fascinating. You have an entrenched starter who was not the problem last year, but also didn't play so well where it's like, hey, this can't ever be questioned whether Dart's the guy. What do you make of the quarterback room now? I don't think Walker Howard is probably ready to play. I think there seems to be a general consensus between the Howard camp and really everyone around the program. They're like, hey, this guy's probably not quite ready yet, but hey, don't rule anything out. What do you make of this quarterback room and why Sanders is here and clearly, I guess, here to stay? I don't know any way that come August, Spencer Sanders and Jackson Dart are both happy. That's where I was going to get to. You got right to it. Are they both? That's the answer. Are they both here? That's what I was going to ask you. Are they both here? Maybe you know the answer to this. I personally don't. I guess I need to find it as a reporter. I don't know how close Jackson Dart is to graduating to allow him the ability to transfer immediately should he want to do that if he loses out. I don't know. I don't know um, the specifics of that, but I do I do get the sense that 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 would be not I, I don't think that would be a gigantic without knowing his actual I've never asked directly to anyone involved or anyone around what it like how close he is. I should find out that answer too, actually, probably. But the sense I get is maybe they're just not thinking about it. But the sense I get currently is that wouldn't be a huge issue. I'll just leave it at that without knowing anymore. And see, from the Spencer Sanders side, and I don't know entire university. I can find this out. I will find this out. But I think you have to take a certain number of your final hours at Ole Miss to get an Ole Miss degree. So Spencer Sanders unless he just went on some crazy academic route of just class after class after class after class, he can't become a graduate transfer from Ole Miss. So to me, which would not, that would this, prevent him to people out there listening. That would prevent him from coming in for the spring. If he doesn't work out leaving again, correct? Correct. Yes. yes. If he cannot be a graduate transfer, he has no year of eligibility remaining to give up to sit out and he would be stuck at Ole Miss for his final year of eligibility either way. I'm probably asking something you don't know the answer to. Is there any way he goes through spring, it doesn't go well, he can transfer out and play somewhere next fall? Is that possible or no? Spencer, not well. I said not without graduating, and I just don't think 12 hours is enough to get an Ole Miss degree because otherwise – 
you would just go to some shit school for your entire college career and you'd go to Stanford and take one class and go, oh, now my degree's from Stanford. Right. Like you have to have, you know, 12, 24 hours, whatever it is from a school to be considered a graduate from that school. This is where we are in college athletics. We talked about needing to get financial advisors on. We probably need to have your wife on to explain the uh, the, the academic stuff. No, seriously, yeah. I mean, I mean I, I'm not. I, jo- I mean, I'm joking, but not really. Like, I, I explain like how this will work because Ole Miss does give you the leeway. I had friends that graduated and walked in May, but they still had to take hours in the May intercession, June. And I think they'll even let you take up to July class all the way to the August intercession. So Ole Miss does have kind of a opportunity to uh, let's say make up a bunch of hours but again i don't know how that works or if he could even do but it still doesn't make you a graduate it allows you to walk there's a difference you still got to finish all the classes when you're a to be a graduate um right he would walk but that would situation would have him walk in may but he wouldn't be a graduate until he completed that final class basically right correct yes wow what a world so so no i think he's stuck i I just can't see a, a path out for him which is a crazy decision. I think there's probably some. Unless back- he didn't have a lot of decisions. You know, I his think transcript that's- wasn't very good. I mean, I'm not talking, you know, I'm not trying to speak down about him or whatever, but, you know, I, I know Ole Miss, I mean, from talking to multiple people, was they were struggling with how to transfer classes from Oklahoma State. I mean, that's a, that's more of an agricultural school. So, I mean, things aren't apples to apples on what you make those classes at Ole Miss versus, I mean, there was a lot of red tape that, you know, some people jump on the academic people and that's just not fair. I mean, sometimes this not just fair. takes a minute. It's, it's a hard thing to figure out how to, because here's the deal too with Spencer Sanders, getting him in. I actually credit Ole Miss's academic staff here because. Well, I think that's personal why he's here. I don't know if other yeah, people could have found out the way to do it. It's not even necessarily make this class compute. You also have to have him on track to graduate at a certain time. There is a degree progression element to eligibility. So when you've got, I mean, I don't know how many, 105 hours or something, well, you better make sure they all work because he has to be a certain number toward a degree at Ole Miss to be eligible as well. So it's a it's a pretty big variable mess there from an algebra problem. It really is. And like, it's 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 wild. So who, uh, to put it, in, to kind of wrap up the conversation, who do you think is the starting quarterback next year for Ole Miss? Look, I'm going to stick with Dart until he's not, just because it, it it's... I mean, now look, from a room standpoint, Sanders is the easier answer. If you just start four-year starter in the Big 12, couple all Big 12. If, if you're just talking about like what makes the most logical sense with everyone's eligibility, that makes the most sense. But I'm I'm I'm, I'm going to I'm going to stick with Dart. I, I I just am. I think he I think he's going to show up. He's going to compete his ass off, and I I think he's the starter. I think Walker Howard gets enough reps to get ready for his future, whatever that is. Um, and then I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I'm not saying Spencer Sanders can't be the starting quarterback. I just I'm I'm as fascinated by this as I've been anything because I don't know how it works out. By my terrible math, that Ole Miss has 13 portal guys that they've gotten to come here to Ole Miss, 15 in the high school ranks. They've lost 24 to the portal. So that would put them at a net plus four in terms of roster addition, subtraction, just from the portal. That doesn't count graduating stuff. So they're not clearly at like a net four in terms of overall players from roster this year to last year. But one of the things I found interesting was like Lane started off his press conference was like, you know, not not a whole lot of action. This is not what it used to be because not many guys signed in February anymore. But then he also spent the last press conference saying, 
I don't know what to tell you guys because we're not done yet. And I'm not faulting him for saying those two kind of diametrically opposing things, you know, a month and a half apart. But it's it, 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 it's a very, I guess, to put a bow on the football talking, it's a very weird place to be because he talks about like how much work's going to get done between the early period and maybe he wasn't even talking about the late period just next fall. I guess to package this to a question, when are we supposed to be able to judge this roster and whether it's better or worse? Is it next? Is it preseason camp? Yeah, it is. Because a kid who gets into the portal between May 1st and May 15th, he doesn't have to do anything until he just gets here for preseason camp or in class for August. So we don't know for sure until that portal closes on May 15th of who even the eligible players are that you're keeping, losing, or bringing in from other places. And then those kids still get a recruitment process beyond that point. So, no, it, it's it's absolutely mid-July at the earliest before we're 100% sure of what this thing looks like from a roster standpoint. And then he's outlining rules I didn't know existed. He made a note in his press conference. He's like, you know, the window's not closed, but the SEC to SEC window is now closed. Did you know that was a thing? I didn't know that. I mean, I'll hand up. Yeah. I didn't know that was a rule. Yeah. If you're if you're portaling SEC to SEC, you have to do that by, I forget the exact date, but it's something like January 25th, February 1st, something like that. I never thought I'd be watching in on press conferences. Not that I go there and do this full time anymore and learning rules about the sport that I mm-hmm. halfway cover now. It's just a wild time. Let's go to baseball to kind of wrap this whole thing up. Mike has his uh, media day. I thought it was classic Mike and also kind of hilarious that he uh, he he started it out welcoming the new SID and talking about the new SID. I don't remember the fellow's name, but he goes, oh. we, go, we go through a lot of SIDs here. And I started laughing. And then I think he had another sentence or two. That he goes, oh, but it's not because of me. Like, we don't get through a lot of SIDs. He goes, yeah, we had. That's because of Mike. But it's also very like a window into Mike complimenting and thinking about every aspect of his program, which I wanted to get to a little bit, but also it was just a funny moment because they do go through a lot of SIDs. He's not the easiest guy to work for, not in a bad way, but just he's very, you know, very detailed and very demanding. I just thought that aspect, it was funny, but I guess to put that into a real question, you're now at, I don't know what media day this was for you, but you've covered more Mike Bianco media days than not. What stuck out to you? Is there anything different? Yeah, this is uh, – I'm going into year 18 uh, from a baseball wow. beat writer standpoint. I, oh, I know. I, I felt I felt felt a little old this time, I'll be honest. I started doing the math in my head and went, woo. When do people uh, start treating you like Bob Holt in SEC press boxes? Well, I don't talk that much. I don't ask all the questions the way Bob does, so it keeps me a little more out of the thing. I, I will tell you, every time there's a new SID – and it's my one kind of old man yelling at the cloud thing. I have a very specific seat in the press box, and I worry every time there's a new SID, I'm like, is it, am I going to have to like send an email and go, hey, by the way, this is where I sit, and I'm really kind of weird about it. So I was about to say, no real worry. You would just have to flex the muscle and be like, look, hey, welcome <laughs> to the show here. This is how this person is where I sit. Did you you have to like come in and politely, but not really ask the DM kid that I need him to move. Is that is that the is that the way that works? Like yeah, and hey. then just blame the SID for putting the kid's placard, the note, the placard there. It's like what 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 is this? This is my seat. This is what I do. I mean, you could yeah. scream at him. I don't know. I mean, you could just walk in and lose your shit on some kid one time, and I think no one would take your seat again. But I don't think you got that in you, honestly. No, no, no. I, I, we're going to try to do it diplomatically. But no, you make a good point about SIDs. I mean, everything has been great with this this guy so far. But I had Bill Bunning from 2016, or sorry, 2006 through 2015, maybe. Yeah. And I think it's been somebody else every year since then. Wow. So, yeah, they something like that. A- so he, he Mike throws on the tie. Uh, maybe y'all didn't know it, but I'd seen him a few minutes earlier. <laughs> he walks up there. He, uh, 
kind of talked about the team. He talked about shifting, bunning, whatever. What were kind of your takeaways from this press conference that kind of gave you your first real glimpse of what this team might be and them talking about the team? It's the one thing, and this is bad pod, so I'll expound on it a little bit just to to try to help people, is having the press conference so early. Yeah. I understand why he did it. Because he did it because he thinks, hey, I'm giving people a lot of information, and maybe some of the people who aren't yet covering baseball are getting enough, they'll start writing it more. I think overall he's generating more media attention for his team by doing it earlier. The problem is that he can't give any specifics. He doesn't know who's starting. He doesn't know what the rotation is. He, he doesn't know anything that – is a little more hardcore fan situation. So he used to announce the rotation in the starting nine yeah. each Monday, yeah, 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 basically. Yeah. And with everything the way it is, I just had a hard time finding a lot that was compelling because I'm so entrenched in it that I know all the basics. I know who's back. And but but the one thing that fans should realize is, you know, everybody's talking about Graham and Elko being gone and Bench being gone and Delusia and all this stuff. There's a lot of dudes back this year. There, there's more than people realize, especially when you look at it offensively, and it's Gonzalez and it's Harris and it's McCants and it's you know Kemp and and there, there's there's guys. I mean, it's not like it's a complete turnover from a roster standpoint, especially offensively. And it's an old baseball team. It's a team that if they can gel from a leadership standpoint, they should be really good as far as managing the season from a long term standpoint. Because I mean, I, I think I mentioned this on your show the last time. It's very possible that at the end of the 2023 season, Carl is replacing all eight fielders for yeah. next season. It's every single position. one of them is either draft eligible or and likely going, or they're out of eligibility. Chatney was the other one. I forgot a second ago. They're all moving around and gone. So, you know, I like the transfers. I really like this lineup. You've got all the guys back that I think you can put in roles that make a ton of sense. I think Calvin's going to be really good behind the plate. He was like the number two catcher in the country out of out of high school. He just has been playing behind Dunhurst. And then Ethan Groff is the guy that I'm buying all the stock in. I liked him at Tulane. He was hitting over 400 when he got hurt with with the Green Wave last year. And then Anthony Clarko hit 13 home runs for Northwestern last year. I know it's the Big Ten from a pitching standpoint, but it's also cold as hell. So 13 home runs and those kind of temperatures throughout the year means you, you've got some power and it probably does translate. Um, so offensively, I really like them. This team will go as far as the young pitchers take them, because you've got these two injuries on the back end with Riley Maddox and Josh Mallett. Now Mallett's is just a huge loss. There's it's, no way. Both to, of them to, are huge losses, but to your point, yeah. Mallett's particularly, those are huge losses that I maybe aren't getting, I wouldn't say not getting discussed as much because I just don't know the answer to that, but those are bigger losses that maybe people make them out to be. No, it, it, it's huge. And it puts your, your puts your pitching staff in a weird spot because you're counting on so many newcomers to be good. Because when I sit here and I look at this thing, you know, you've got Hunter Elliott on Friday. He's going to compete his ass off and he's going to win baseball games. But Grayson Saunier is probably your Saturday starter. Um, he's That's a, a lot on a freshman, as we've seen in years past. Freshman. It could be awesome, um, but the, you, you, it's never a certain thing until you really no, get no, SEC no, no. play. The transition is weird. Mike, I think, I could have this number wrong, I think only twice in Mike's entire career has he started a true freshman on opening weekend. I think it's only twice. So it's it's a very high standard. Mark Holloman in 2003, Gunnar Hoagland in his freshman year of the two. Um, Not even Pomeranz. And then, no, Pomeranz was a bullpen guy early. And then Cody Satterwhite was going to be, but the game got rained out. So it's a little bit of a trick question, technicality. But nonetheless, two, and then Satterwhite would have been three. Point being, Sonia is by necessity, and because he's been that good, if he is end up in the rotation – 
Xavier Rivas is a guy they really like. He's a left-hander. Mike mentioned multiple times they just need a left-hander, um, and he's been their best option there. But that's a D2 kid transferring to the SEC. There's going to be a transition. That's a big jump. So what does that look like? You know, Takian, the freshman, he likes him. Maybe he's a midweek starter. Maybe he's a Sunday starter. I don't know. We'll see. But then you just there's question marks about everybody except for Elliott. And then you've got Jack Doherty, who was – really, really good most of the season. I mean, he he was actually underrated going into the postseason, and then he had a hell of a postseason. But I think he's going to have to go on the back end because of your bullpen injuries. I think you're going to have to try to make it work with the young kids in the rotation and then give Doherty some ability to give you some uh, stability from a back he's end He's the closer if things go well, right? If everything goes yes. well and it works for the young guys, is he the closer? Because that's – Yes, Two, three years now, show me one guy's numbers and I'll tell you much about this team. Isn't that version of that this year kind of, hey, if Doherty's able to stay on the back end of the bullpen, that means a lot of other stuff has gone well in theory? Yeah, because if something doesn't go right in the starting rotation, they're going to move Doherty because you got to yeah. have a rotation to get to the bullpen. So, yeah, I mean, if if Mason Nichols has a ton of saves or save opportunities and Doherty's got a bunch of starts, it means something did not go right with Rivas or Saunier or whatever they want that thing to look like from a from a rotation standpoint. It's it, it it's the ultimate thing to me is what is Doherty's role and how well does he do it? Because if he can find a way to be, you know, kind of that Jake Morgan type going back a, a few years or something along those lines, then hey, you can you can piece this thing together. They're gonna hit and they're a good baseball team. I mean, look, the SEC is brutal. And there's no time to get into this because these first six weekends suck. I mean, you look at the schedule, and it's Vanderbilt, Florida, Arkansas, somebody that I'm for A&M, LSU, Mississippi State. Those are the first six weekends of SEC play. And it's not even a scheduling thing. Like we talked about, like don't get me wrong, that's a particularly brutal start. But the league is just such a bitch this year. There's no breaks. I mean, maybe you catch a South Carolina, Missouri. I don't think Ole Miss caught either one of them on the schedule. But it was going to be some version of that regardless, right, unless you got lucky. I mean, the league is absurd. You could have Alabama finish last in the league, and they're probably an NCAA tournament team on paper. Like, I know we say this every year, but it really does feel like this year, this is really beyond anything I've seen in a long time, right? Because you got Alabama, who you presume probably, I know they're ranked top 20 and D1 ranked them top 20 and didn't rank state. But who's the worst team in the West? Is it A&M? Okay. Is it Alabama? Okay. Because Alabama has it's, both of their rotation guys back. And you know, in this sport, that plays. When you have two rotation guys that are coming back that are experienced dudes, if they're healthy, you're probably going to be pretty damn good. Okay. From worst a record team. standpoint, it's going to be so schedule dependent. I don't know. Tell me who plays Missouri and Kentucky the most out of all the teams in the West, and I'll tell you how I kind of want to kind of want to format it from that standpoint. It's why I like Tennessee to win the overall SEC title. That's where I would put my money line because LSU Ooh. has a much harder schedule than Tennessee does. Tennessee gets to play the entire East, and I think they're going to win the East, so I think they win the overall. But I think LSU is the most talented team going into the season. But, no, look, State, if things really worked out for them, has a higher ceiling than Alabama. But Alabama's floor is much higher than Mississippi State. I mean, I think – I was talking to Joe Healy about this on our main show – if Alabama does what we think they're going to do, they're going to be a really competitive team. They're going to win a lot of non-conference games. Even in that rugged West, they're going to go 14 and 16, 15 and 15, and they are going to be one bitch of a two or three seed in the NCAA tournament that somebody's going to have to deal with. I mean, I think Alabama would be that team that when you're filling out your bracket, if anybody sicko does that for baseball, 
you potentially move them into a super because they're going to be incredibly battle battle tested. There's nothing they haven't seen, and they are a good program. They're a good team. And but look, but Brad Bohannon's a really good baseball coach. He's a really good baseball coach and a really hard job. So I, I think they're going to be. I think they have a higher floor than some of those other teams, but. I think that you're easily – you wouldn't even bat an eye if somebody said A&M, Ole Miss, LSU, or Texas A&M were in Omaha at the end of the year. Those four teams have an expectation to finish top 10, top 12 in the season in, in, in the country and be right there in the mix from a from a College World Series standpoint. Butch is a hell of a coach and usually makes it work. I don't really like Auburn's roster that much. So, I mean, if you told me a team really, really struggled to simply – get enough outs and hit enough and just win games against talented teams. I think Auburn could be down in that mess. I like Alabama more than I do Auburn. And then with Mississippi State, it's just so many question marks. I mean, what are you getting out of Stinnett? What are you getting out of that rotation? But they're going to hit. I mean, State is going to hit. So offensively, can that carry them at all? Or is it just way too much to ask them to do that day after day after day after the pitching? And then the other reason I like Tennessee over LSU from an overall standpoint and I talked about this with Joe, too, so it's a little repetitive, is that LSU's dang good. Don't get me wrong. I mean, they're 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 by far the most talented team in the country. But their pitching doesn't have the one dude that just scares the absolute crap out of you. I mean, Paul Skeens is going to have a little bit of a road bump from getting going from the Mountain West to the SEC. I mean, that's not going to be what he's seen every single day. So, you know, look, a sprained ankle, an arm injury, which happens all across the country every year, LSU, LSU would scare me more if that lineup was the, if the rotation was like their lineup where all the studs were in the pitching and you went, oh, you just can't hit them like, you know, rocker and lighter or something like that, where you go, God, there's no way to get around that. But offenses get weird sometimes. Maybe Tommy Tanks doesn't convert the same way from the ACC. Maybe some pitching gets a little funny. I think the West is a little more wide open, whereas on the East, I just think Tennessee has a chance to win 20, 21, 22 baseball games. And one of the teams you didn't even mention in there is Arkansas, and they bring back Wiggins and Hagen Smith. And they had maybe the number two portal class in the country. There's also a world where they have an old Miss transfer in their rotation. Uh, I don't know if you've read some of the preseason stuff. Cody Adcox sounded like he's going to pitch a bunch for them, which is kind of crazy. And then they bring back a Tiger or whatever the kid's name. It's a, it's a bear. I had this one question for you. Why is – I know I, you haven't been able to see a bunch, so this is an impossible question, but I, if there's anyone equipped to answer it, you, what is the case of, that Saunier is not uh, freshman Gunnar Hoagland where he struggles and he needs to figure it out? Is it because he's more polished beyond the fastball? What is what like If you're making an argument that he's better and not um, freshman Gunnar, what, what do you think that answer is? Yeah, if Sonia is elite to the level that we think that is possible, it's a couple different things. His four-pitch mix is already more pronounced than Gunner's was at that time. And then it's, look, and this is what we don't know, but it said he handles things so much better mentally. It's nothing against Gunner, but Gunner, we all bragged about it, and we didn't do our job correctly because Gunner had, not bragged about it, but wrote about it all the time. He had that deal where his senior year of high school, he didn't walk a single batter, and he only had six three-ball counts his entire senior year of high school. It's a dumb stat. It's it's incredible. And it does show he has plenty of control. But there's a big difference in control and command. And what Gunnar Hoagland did was when he got into a tight situation, he just threw the ball over the middle of the damn plate. And he was scared of walking anybody. He was scared of nibbling. 
and the off-speed stuff wasn't good enough, and he just got rocked. I mean, he just struggled getting the ball onto the corners and really pitching. You hope that Sonia trusts his stuff better. He's faced better competition overall throughout his career. You, you hope that mentally he's in a different place, that he competes and just pitches and calms down. Hoagland's issue, you know, they tightened up some breaking ball stuff, and there was some changes, but a lot of Hoagland's issues were mental. And he just couldn't quite get there early enough in his career. And frankly, for most of his freshman season or all of his freshman season. Uh, and that's not the case, I don't think, with with Sonia, at least to this point. He's been very, very good. And if he at all holds from what you're seeing when the lights come on, I, I think he'll be better than Hoagland was as a freshman. But, look, you don't know until there's crowds in the stands. I mean, I've seen a lot of pitchers, a lot of hitters, do really well in the fall, really well with these preseason inter-squads, and then all of a sudden they just freak out. And for Ole Miss to be where they need to be, Sonia can't do that. It's Zach Phillips. It's um, Who's the older kid they brought in last year? Not the – oh, I guess the kid that deferred med school. Oh, I'm not blanking on his name. John Gaddis. Yeah, and then uh, the uh, the Green Bay Packers fan. Um, <laughs> Jack Washington. message board post of all time, right? You just don't know until it gets there. Give me two. We see this every year. Two arms that were on the roster last year that didn't pitch much that you think factor into this year's team in a pretty big way. I've got two names that I'll throw at you, but I want to hear what yours are. Yours are. Um. I, okay. Here's a little different. I think compared to a lot of Mike's seasons, I think that the newcomers are going to get more chances early than they have in past years. So I think you're going to see a lot of opportunities to guys like JT Quinn and to key in, as I mentioned, and some of those guys where there, it's not going to be, you have to necessarily earn your spot the same way from a, from a scenario, from a seniority standpoint, some of those different things. So I don't, I don't know that it's going to translate these the same way. Um, I mean, I understand the question. I'm not even putting it off. I've got it. I've got an answer, but I, I do think at least going in, it's not necessarily set up in that same vein as it has been in some past seasons. But if I just the, – the number one I'm going to pick for sure is Mitch Morrell. Um, He's top of the list if I've just got to grab a guy. And then – I had Mitch Morrell. My other two were between two guys, and I just threw one out there. But I don't hear which one. I think we probably have the same two dudes. So go ahead. I think – I don't love this, honestly. And it, again, nothing against him. He's thrown some innings. I'm going to go with Jackson Kimbrell just because they need a left-handed arm. Ooh, okay. So I was I, I didn't have him because I was when I said the same two that we were debating for the second slot. I didn't have him because he'd pitched enough, but I think that counts. I kind of debated whether that counts or not. They do need a left-handed arm. And he's given them something in spots, right? What if it is Jackson Kimbrell, what does he do better, in your opinion? Um, he just, I mean, frankly, competes and just throws all his pitches in the strike zone. I mean, he's he's a different guy. He gives them a different look. Um, there are things about his game that I really, really like from that standpoint. I think that he he can do some stuff for Ole Miss and and in such a rotation and in a staff that is so top heavy from uh ninety four, you know, ninety three to ninety six, and everybody's got the hard slider and all that kind of stuff. He can be a change of pace guy, but he's just got to really locate. I mean, it, the stuff is not good enough all the way around to miss a lot of spots. You know, you're talking about a fastball at times in the mid-80s, up into the high 80s, but it's coming from the left side, and they just don't have a lot of options. It's why it's why Rebus is going to have a ton of chances to to get a rotation spot if he's as talented as Mike is acting like he is at this point because it's simply a matter of, of 
you can't just be right-hand dom- dominant most of the time. I mean, look, Ole Miss year after year after year damn tries this. So maybe you can because they're the they're the one team that will do it if that is a possibility. But, I mean, from a left-handed standpoint, they have three left-handed pitchers. It's Hunter Elliott, Xavier Rivas, and Jackson Kimbrell. That's it. The other two names I was going to throw out to and I was debating between were Matt Parento and Braden Jones. Braden Jones is a wild card. Throws the crap out of it. Big track man guy, and I mean that in a good way. I mean, the numbers will yeah. pop off from a from a rap soto all that kind of stuff maybe i honestly kind of forgot about him so i think that that's a very real thing the reason why with him and parento because i do think parento can pitch in the sec too i think year those year two guys that don't aren't traditional kind of get overlooked and sometimes it just takes the same thing for the transfers as it does the newcomers it just takes that extra year so that wouldn't shock me i i, I like parento is it, maybe a thing both those guys they profile the same as so many other options is what does it take for Mike to trust them? And now maybe he does, he's gotten there with other guys and then really wrote them. And maybe he's learned that, Hey, you can't wear out everybody immediately and you got to give a lot of guys opportunities. But I, I just, in my head, somebody who does something a little different has an earlier chance than maybe somebody who profiles the exact same way as the other dudes. And then you just need them to overtake them. But Mike did mention Braden Jones in his preseason press conference, which I'm not saying that means something, but it probably means more than if he had, had he not done it. Yeah, absolutely. And then kind of the last thing on this is like, if there's reason for optimism that they are as good pitching as you think they'll be at the plate. And I don't mean like, I don't mean that to frame this as like, Hey, this team actually could be pretty good. Like no shit. They're going to be pretty good. It's the fact that he always figures the pitching out. It wasn't last year, like one of the greatest examples of that. I mean, you saw the guy been a head coach for a long time. And like abandon the concept of starting pitching. That was a wild two week stretch there in the last season, but he always figures it out. Like if if this team reaches the ceiling back in Omaha and really defends their crown admirably, it's like the the call for optimism towards that, despite the couple injuries, is the fact that he always figures this out. It seems like. Oh well, I mean, look, I mean, it's it's really easy to figure out how they get to Omaha from a textbook standpoint. It's Hunter Elliott's one of the top pitchers in the country because frankly, he was one of the top pitchers in the country at the end of last season. Sonier is as talented as we think he can be, and he does sort of a Lance Lynn freshman year kind of thing where you go, oh, that guy really takes off, and it makes a lot of sense. Pomeranz did that, and then they just get enough on Sunday. I mean, the reason why I like Xavier Rivas starting the year is that Sunday, guys, he's left-handed. He throws multiple pitches for strikes. He doesn't seem to walk anybody. And on Sundays in the SEC, the formula has not changed. It's do not give the damn game away. In throw strikes games. makes yeah make somebody else hit you and win and then attack their crappy pitching at the end of their rotation and their bullpen that's the way you win sunday games in the sec is to just throw strikes and don't make mistakes so if Rivas can do that i mean i'm coming completely full circle it's what sam smith did pretty well throughout his four years and recently pitched on sunday is because he just didn't walk much of anybody and he's hung in games and he gave people four or five innings and just stuck in there so if Rivas does that Look, there's gonna, they're going to be an offensive program. I mean, so if you give them 27 outs on a Sunday, more often than not, they're going to have some chances to outscore you. I had to introduce Mike as the speaker on Friday, and uh, basically I was like, all right, I got about five minutes. I probably just need to stroke his ego a bit. I mean that halfway jokingly. But I talked to a couple people in the process of starting to like book him, and they talked like, – one of the guys that I was talking about were like – he doesn't charge for those, as I talked about earlier, like he doesn't charge for like speaking appearances. He feels like it's his kind of duty to the community. And that started as him trying to sell the program when he first got there. And 
I, I, mm-hmm. I honestly wanted to put like a side by side of what the stadium looked like before Mike got there and what the hell it looks like now, because he, he built that. And when you talk about building Ole Miss baseball from the ground up, and I think that's as good of a indicator as anything. It's just like, look at the facilities, look at this place, look at the amount of people that go to these games. And I think that's a, the more and more I thought about it, that's a rarer and rarer thing in college athletics. And I was talking to someone when I was trying to get him booked and I, they told me a story about like him, I think they have like external meetings where it's like everyone pretty much like from ops to media relations, they all go and meet. And like the coaches, most coaches either don't show up, show up, don't really want to be there. But he was like, Mike shows up to every one of those things and he takes notes. And like, I use this to the speech. I was like, I've seen him hand out donuts every single year and often frigid weather to kids that go, you know, that are it's standing in line to be let in to put their seats out for the year. You've covered the guy longer than anybody. I, I'm just curious to get your thoughts on, his program management beyond talent on the field wins losses, the aspect that he cares about, because I think that's a gigantic factor in what's made him such a successful head coach that doesn't really get discussed as much as it should, because man, that guy cares from scoreboard lights to the parish Oxford microwave, literally everything. And it's a credit to you know how principled he is as a human and also like why he's so successful. It, it it's the elite of the elite and people make fun of it in some ways when he doesn't win, but the, the value that he brings on that it, it's, it's in ways that we could do a whole podcast on. And I mean, I mean that seriously, I mean, it's not yeah. like Mike and I are great friends. I, I think we have respect for each other, but I mean, it's like, it's a compliment that, that, that I give him in, in every way he did. He built that program in so many ways at the beginning. And he still holds a lot of those tenants today. Look, it, 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 it bleeds down into media coverage. It's not unlimited, but for the most part, whatever I want, they'll find a way to try to make it happy happen or at least make you think they care enough to make it happen. And that's not common in every day in college athletics. That's a whole different animal. He does his own budget. I mean, he's basically the AD of his program in all ways. He cares about the seats being wiped off and not being wet when fans gets there. It's 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 everything to do with that guy. He cares about the community. He cares about the people that come. So he's he worries about the Sunday shaking hands with the kids and the pictures and the running the bases. It, it, there is a community element to Ole Miss baseball that has helped it be successful on a number of different fronts. Frankly, he's the guy that, you know, there's been a few years where the students have been a little more hassled about alcohol and different things right at the beginning of the season. And, I mean, I can't prove this, but I guarantee five's one of the ones that went, nope, 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 let those kids, uh-uh, 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 don't, don't mess with us out there. Don't do that kind of stuff. I mean, it's – it really is. It's look if he's losing, they call it micromanaging, and obviously he's had to adapt in some ways. But there's something too caring about every inch of your program in every way that really, really matters. Um, and 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 Mike hits that. He he makes it a community event, a an event that the community cares about, wins, losses, whatever. And um, no, his, his, his there, there's nothing that his fingerprints are not on that has impacted and benefited in very positive ways is he any different now than he was after late june you you got to talk to him for the book you've been around him a bunch you've been around him the longest do you think there's any difference in how we'll see mike bianco compared to now and i don't mean like legacy type stuff i just mean his behavior how he acts is he more relaxed i think the first bad call of the season or something pisses him off we might be like oh nope this guy's still out there i'm just curious do you think he's different in any way now that he's gotten to the mountaintop and done exactly what he planned to do when he got here. Because I think that's a very real thing. Took 22 years. That's not a knock on him by any stretch, but it's just, it's fascinating that we are now having a normal baseball season. He is 
the guy that got this program to the pinnacle of the sport, do you think we'll see any sort of different side of Mike Bianco? Yeah, I think he would be more more willing to try something different. I think there's no edge on that now. I think you can kind of experiment with a different abandon versus really trusting the way you do things and trying to not, – not even stubborn, but just making your way work, if you will. There's a difference there. Because, look, he's already been doing that. He started treating players differently after 2018. He started being a little more aware that he needed more positive reinforcement. As you said, he dumped starters last year. He's already been doing that, but there's a certain What's up with that. Yeah, yeah, he's shifting. I mean, it's and he gave a really long answer on why he hasn't done it and why he's doing it now. I mean, he's there's a proof of concept to it that I do think he'll be a little more willing to do, try some different things. And then frankly, and this is a personal thing that bleeds into the professional thing, there's just an edge off. He's not getting fired. He's been in such turmoil from a career standpoint that I don't necessarily think it affects him in game management, but and he did a hell of a job last year not letting players think it affected him day to day. So maybe the thing he doesn't get enough credit for in the course over the course of their run last year and when things weren't going well. But I think just day to day he's he's gonna be a little lighter. I think he's gonna be a little happier. I think he's gonna be a little more just a, a little more in ways that allows him to think more clearly. There's not stress. I mean, any person in any job has more stress and you're a little more cloudy when things are going bad. So no, I, I don't know if it's going to be noticeable, but there's no doubt he's different. I mean, he's, he's, he, he's completely appreciative. He's celebrated, but then he's also turning the page and look, he's going to pass skip Burtman and wins in about a month. He's, He's he's got some he's still got some fish to fry. I mean, Mike's only fifty five years old. It's not like he's done right now. Yeah, my, my boss goes, "What's he early sixties? I was like, "No, no, no, he's just bald. He's 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 mid fifties. Yeah. He's, he's yeah, yeah. He's just been doing this for a while. He got hired at like thirty two. We had a guy that's one of our recruiters for the dental practice wanted to take a picture of him, and then he goes, "We got the same haircut. They're both bald." And I was like, "Buddy, you're walking into the lion's den here." But Mike actually found it funny. I was like, "Holy shit! I thought this could go sideways." <laughs> It was yeah, well, the, different uh, story than. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, different story than 2011 when David Brand asked him if he'd ever had a cleanup hitter shorter than him. <laughs> what? How was that answered? <laughs> I, I I think he ended up saying no, but you could see like the fire in his eyes for a second. Like it was it was close to like oh 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 oh. My yeah. God, David Brent, just absolutely balls of steel while rolling in yeah. there with that. The obligatory send-off, uh, because you got me into these golf picks. I don't know if we'll start calling this golf corner. Uh, two golf notes for you. Did you see Bubba? Uh, did you see the Bubba quote about his son? Did you see this? Do you know what I'm referring to? Yes, it was the most bullshit thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Bubba he, got a Everybody little- knows who the aces are. Yes, he said his son knows that he knows they know the aces. He started naming. I don't even know the other teams. I know there's one called like the Niblucks who no laying up is jokingly started calling the Nibbies. What what did you make of such a quote? I it's so laughable at this point. I, and again, I'm not the just like to, to hell with live. I, I think they're annoying, but it just it it spoke to just like these guys are brainwashed or they're so against just saying I took this for the money that they just don't it's that they can't get over they they cannot get past trying to save their Q rating to just go. It was a lot of money, and I took it. Especially a guy like Bubba, who at some point was well-liked and had a certain crowd that appreciated him. They've Look, golfers are pretty insecure humans. Um, they have a hard time being disliked for the most part, and you're just disliked by association. And when you can't come out and be real, you're disliked on that way too. So, 
look, it was a ridiculous quote, but it's also a glimpse into their frustrations with how they're perceived, but it's their own fault. Do you think P. Reed saw his ball in the trees with the with the with the uh uh, binoculars or whatever it was. I love that. That was so funny to me because they're looking no. in the wrong tree. It wasn't the tree that the ball went into. Yeah, God no. But Rory did defend him, which I thought was interesting. But um, otherwise, no. I mean, it, look, I used to sort of not fan is probably too strong, but I used to kind of like him for the most As a part. Heel. Yeah, he. It, it's mental illness between this and whoever's running the Twitter account and everything else. It, it, it's mental illness at this point. It's. It's not even playing into the heel and just being whatever. It's it's a self – it's a almost like a depression situation yes. where so frustrated on how he's disliked that has gone into actual mental illness. I mean, at this point, I find him sad more than anything else. I could not agree more, and it's it's just awful. The last thing, uh, no laying up signs Kevin Van Valkenburg. He's going to expand their written content. I know you're a no laying up fan. I am. So I have a couple of buddies that text me about it as soon as it happened. I'm not on like the no laying up message board. I, I just like I have a limited podcast bandwidth. I've re- more recently actually started listening to their podcast regularly, but I'm not like a subscriber. I don't get into that. I, I don't know where you fall on that scale. I know you follow golf and you like no laying up. What did you make of them getting a real kind of journalism titanic name to expand their written coverage. I thought that was very a very fascinating move that was not surprising once I figured out how often he goes on their show and how much he likes them. But I, I just, what did you make of that? Like, I'm kind of excited about it. We can get down the weeds on this. We could we could even just, when we need a show, do a full golf podcast on this because I have more thoughts than just wrapping up. But it was... It was a huge sign for them. It's going to be more compelling. I mean, it's in some ways, it's a lot. It's it's the more professional version of what Foreplay did with Daniel yeah. Rappaport. Um, it, it, it's very similar in that way. It's it's huge. I'll read his content. It would at least he's a name that would make me potentially subscribe to their message board or yeah, go to their site. Way. Whereas I've had no interest in that whatsoever. So yeah, I think that they could get me into that for sure. But between that and their whatever this association is that they're potentially having with the PGA tour, you know, when they go to Hawaii and they do the video with Justin Thomas and Jordan Spieth, and there's some synergy there that look, it will hurt them credibility wise because you can't, they're not going to hammer them as much. I mean, you're going to see some different takes probably unless, unless KVV is almost a way to do that without it being them. Hey, he can take all those shots and we're going to be the corporate partner or whatever. But for the most part, look, as you and I talked about a couple of weeks ago on this show, I talked about it with Kellenberger on Thursday. At the end of the day, we're all just going to watch the PGA Tour and whoever's on it. So anything that gives us more access and more knowledge of that is a good thing. And look, Ben Balkenberg is incredibly accomplished, very, very talented. And he's one of only two or three names that would have lit me up to the point of I go, no, that's a big deal. It shows how healthy no laying up is, how well they're doing because they keep adding staff and a name like that. And yeah, it, it will make me take in more of their content. I have immense respect for what you and Neil have built. It's changed this whole podcast thing for me, but you and I missed our window. We should have been the two middling lefties that started our own podcast and just got in bed with tour players. That was a big mistake by us. But, hey, if we ever get into a time machine back in 2015, i just approach you and be like, hey, quit your job. Let's just go to these tour events. Let's proclaim that we're these short-hitting left-handers that aren't great. But, hey, let's see what happens, and we'd probably be rich. Suck up to anybody and just see where it goes. He is Chase Parham. I appreciate the time as always, my friend. We'll probably have you back on here some couple months into baseball season, but uh, be well and we'll holler at you soon. All right. Appreciate it, bud. 
All right, that was Chase. Appreciate his time. I uh, wanted to get him back on, talk a little football and baseball. We'll be back later on in the week with a uh, couple of different interviews that I'm hoping work out. Uh, got a little delayed on those last week, but a couple more shows for you. Probably get Colin Brister back on as we uh, inch closer and closer toward baseball season. So a uh, couple more shows for you this week. Thanks for listening as always, and we'll holler at you here in a couple of days.